This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. All right, here we are with Podcast 8. Uh, this is Championship Water Polo Season. I'm your host, Charlie Catelli. And I am Ray Kreinkamp. He is my co-host, referee, legend, club, coach, extraordinaire. We could go on and on. Anyhow. Biochemist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Biochemist. He's going to be plating cells later tonight, everybody. Um, anyhow, that's what he does in his free time. We love him, though. Um, so we'd like to welcome everybody here. We are down to the final four, um, which is pretty exciting time during water polo season. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. Um, but as we always like to start out, um, after we welcome everybody, we would like to talk about our previous question of the week. Um, last week we did some uh, Snapchat voting, and I think we actually got some we got some pretty good turnouts on there. I don't know, Ray, do you have the numbers? or? Yeah, we got 654 votes, so it seems like the uh, questions that the athletes are interested in, we get a lot more votes, which is great. Which is good. So um, we do have a clear number one and a clear number two, is that right? Correct. So uh, the, the number one filter overall was the third filter uh, submitted by uh, Jacob Linton, uh, which got 57.4% of the vote. So uh, thanks for everyone for going out and voting. Also, thanks to Alex Figueres for... Um, his submission as well. I mean, all three filters would have worked great. They look good, man. Yeah. They, they all look good. Um, so uh, the winning filter has been approved by Snapchat, and it will be active at the RecPlex uh, this Saturday, May 13, from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. So make sure to snap it to all your friends. Uh, we'll get statistics after uh, the game's over just to know how many times it was distributed and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully this will be a good way to – Tell your friends, let everybody know that the Water Polo State Championship game is going on and show some of the excitement happening therein. Right, and, and even if you're playing on Saturday night and your coach tells you to put your phone away, say, but coach, the Nearside Low Podcast, Snapchat, I, I've got to get it done, all right? Uh, Ray uh, Ray gives you the vote of approval. So uh, I, I don't want any coaches yelling at me, so I know. Um, so we want to roll into our new question of the week, and this is uh, just to stroke our egos a little bit. Um, we thought our final question would be, what was your favorite podcast episode? Um, so that's going to require a lot of you that haven't listened to all of the podcast episodes um, to go out there and uh, and give them a listen. I've talked to quite a few people um, that have listened to two or three of them, four or five of them. We've got some people that are religious and they listen to every um, single one. So we urge you to get out there. Um, let us know. It'll help us kind of uh, think about what we want to do different next year. Um, maybe there was a podcast again that you liked a little bit better than um, than others. So head on to Missouri Water Polo website. We will get some up. Um, we'll just list them as podcast one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And we'll probably put who we interviewed um, next to it so that you uh, you have a better idea. So um, help Ray and I feel a little bit, little bit better about ourselves. All right. Let us know what your favorite one was. All right. Um, and so then that leads us into something that uh, has kind of become uh, um, a weekly thing for us, the Fast Break Forum. Um, and so the topic we uh, thought we wanted to talk a little bit about um, for this week was, it's already kind of been broached, was conference. Um, and we had all conference selections come out. We lied to you. It was supposed to be Thursday morning, and that obviously didn't happen. Um, so don't blame us, but it wasn't our fault. But they did eventually come out. Um, they are po- posted at the Missouri Water Polo website. So feel free to uh, go there and check those out. But I know there's been some uh, questioning on the forum about the voting process. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Ray jump on that one for us. So uh, we wanted you to discuss 
how you think uh, the all-conference selection should be decided. So right now, the coaches get to nominate players, and then they get to vote for players in their conference, whether they're first team or, or whatever. So uh, is there a better way of doing this? And this, By asking this question, we're not at all uh, criticizing the people who did it this year or any of the people involved. We're just seeing if there's a better way for potentially doing it next year. So um, these aren't necessarily my ideas but a couple things that i've heard wanted to see you discuss them so one thing that was suggested was maybe having the first team all conference being designated based on the team's rank in the conference so uh let's take the gateway south conference for instance uh if there's six players on the first team then three might go to Lindbergh since Lindbergh won that conference two would go to parkway south since uh, they got second in that conference and then one slot would be reserved for Padville since they got third in the conference. Since uh, by reasoning, you would think that the best team in the conference should have the most players um, getting first team all conference. Um, so, so that's that's one thing. And so basically, if Lindbergh had three spots, then Coach Butler would get to choose his three players that he wanted to be first team all conference, and that would take away some of the the voting troubles that uh, might occur. Um, and it also would allow the, the coach of the team to decide who he thought were his best players. Um, so I mean, that's one suggestion. If you actually look at the how the teams turned out, it may seem that might not be fair, uh, just especially for some of those teams on, or sorry, some of those players on teams that didn't do very well in their conference. But looking at the conferences, especially the Gateway South turned out exactly like that suggested. Um, the gateways in Gateway West was was similar. So um, so that's one thing. Another thing that was suggested was that coaches break ties. So for instance, the Gateway North, there were nine players that ended up being first team all conference, which is obviously a lot. So the idea would be if there were three or four kids that ended up tying for the the last spot on all conference, then coaches from other conferences would come in and break that tie. So just. Just some ideas like that. I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts, what other things could be done. Right, and we're asking you to focus on the voting process, not the kids that were elected. Um, We already have the all-conference for this year. We're excited about those kids. They should be excited for themselves. Uh, But is there a better method? And I I know very little about voting um, and how what's the best way to do it. So we're curious if anybody out there has uh, has some ideas that um, that might be interesting. Um, And so that concludes our... Uh, fast break forum so again log on to stltoday.com and post your comments please be appropriate as usual Um, and that leads us into we're talking about stl today that leads us into a little bit of polo in the news Um, we had greg upton uh, last night at the slew clayton game and desmet parkway west game at kirkwood high school Um, i know i got interviewed towards the end of the game and he had a great article that he tweeted out i think last late last night kind of went over the uh, parkway west desmet game with a little bit of info about the slew clayton game Um, and so yeah paul kopsky was there taking some great pictures as well so definitely keep going out there checking out those articles all right all right and so that rolls us in um some of the big news that i think they're eventually they might already be posted on the water polo website um is the senior all-star game which is going to be taking place next week and i'll let ray since he's on the board for us or for missouri water polo and is pretty involved in all of this i'm going to let him touch on that so, yeah, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, the banquet uh, this year. So uh, next Wednesday, uh, which will be May 17, 
Uh, what we're going to have this year for the first time at 4.30 is we're going to have a girls' club water polo game. So this isn't going to be under Misha or anything like that, but any any girl who has played this year and wants to come out and play, um, at 4.30 we're going to have a game. It's going to be at Lindbergh High School. Uh, we'd love to see you come out and play. Uh, the teams are going to be coached. We're still working on the coaches, but Colleen Lishway is definitely going to be one of the coaches for that game. Uh, the head women's coach at McKendry, as well as uh, one of the best female players to come out of the area. Um, so uh, very looking forward to that game at 4.30. And then at 5.30 is going to be the senior all-star game. Those rosters are up at mowaterpolo.com. And then starting around 6.30-ish um, will be the awards banquet where we determine um, all district awards as well as uh, various players of the year as voted on by the coaches. So. Yeah. Go Ray, ahead. I'm throwing in my hat. I, I hope I get to be the MC this year. I don't know who I need to talk to, but um, I, I've been told I run a, a mean and efficient all-star banquet. So um, whoever's in charge of it, if you're listening, please give me the green light. Um, and so, uh, yeah, any questions and stuff about that, visit the Mo Water Polo website. I'm sure you'll be able to get plenty of info um, in relation to that. Um, next thing we want to talk about, uh, we had some actually really big JV games that took place tonight. Um, I know Ray was at a couple of those. I was not. Um, I was at practice and then ran home to get ready for the podcast. So I'm going to let him uh, touch on those games real quick. Yeah, so as we talked about, the JV tournaments turned out just as we expected. Some really close games. And tonight in the semifinals, you had two one-goal games. Uh, SLU ended up edging out Kirkwood 8-7. to Exciting finish there. Uh, SLU was up by a few goals going into half. And then Kirkwood edged its way back. Um, and then SLU got a, a big goal there at the end to put them ahead. Uh, Lindbergh, uh, the number three seed, beat Ledoux, the number two seed, by a score of 6-5. to five. Uh, Once again, another game that came down to the last minute of the game. So uh, on Friday at 4.30, Kirkwood will play Ledoux um, for the, in the third-place game, and then SLU will play Lindbergh at 5.30 for the first-place game. So if you're looking for, I mean, close water polo games, I, I'm, I'm sure that both uh, all four of those schools will bring a nice – uh, cheering section to that game. So uh, those will be fun games Friday at Kirkwood. Right. Uh, and so I'm sure everyone's dying. Well, you know, it's the, the Final Four. We want to hear about those Final Four teams. Um, and so we're actually going to talk about the games, I think, from last night. Is that right? And we're going to defer on the game analysis for the Thursday night games, which are going to take place uh, for you guys if you hear this. Tonight, um, we're going to be interviewing uh, Coach Don Casey a little bit later, um, and we got his hot take on both of those games. So if you're interested in hearing uh, the discussion about the final four matchups, SLU versus Parkway West and Ledoux versus Lindbergh, fast forward ahead to the uh, Coach Casey interview. But that being said, um, obviously I was on the pool deck last night for the Desmet Parkway West matchup, and I did catch the tail end of the SLU-Clayton matchup. Um, and so, touch on those. I think I walked in, SLU was at, I don't know, it was like 11-1, 11-2, something like that at that point in time. Again, a strong counter, awareness, good hard press. Um, and, uh, you know, kudos to Clayton again for making it that far. Um, I talked to Coach Brooks at the end of the game, and unfortunately, Coach, it doesn't sound like you've listened to the podcast, although we've given you a lot of shout-outs. So, hopefully you listen to this one. Um, so, it'll be interesting. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I was part of the Parkway West Smet game. Again, we knew it was going to be a battle. Um, we came out on fire, uh, scored a goal right away. Um, but, again, I think there was a point where the game was like 6-4, so Desmet would not go away. Um, and then, towards the end of the game, Simon Everts 
um, put put the uh, as I like to say the icing on the cake. Um, got us to seven goals, um, and we were able to kind of play keep away the last two minutes or so. So it was a battle. I think anyone that watched that game would say by the end it was it was a struggle for both teams to counter down the pool and play offense. Ray, I know you're in the crowd, so I'll let you throw in your two cents. Yeah, and when we talked about the quarterfinal preview a couple nights ago, we said one of the keys would be the other players on the teams besides some of the primary goal scorers stepping up, and that, that's exactly what ended up being the case. Um, Simon Everett scored the uh, final goal for Parkway West, I believe. Um, they also got a goal from Johnson. Um, DeSmet had a really nice game from uh, Tegan Thomas, Mitch Meyer, so... Um, is, is, I mean, it was other players stepping up, which uh, definitely made that game fun to watch. And unfortunately, uh, since we were at Kirkwood, we were not able to get to the Lindbergh game. I know Ray has those scores, so I think he's going to read those for you real quick. Yeah, so uh, Ledoux uh, beat Parkway South 10-5. to uh, Noah Dewey, he had six goals in that matchup, so another really strong performance from Noah. Um, and then Lindbergh uh, beat Parkway Central 11-5, to uh, the triumvirate of Schneider, White, and Nash combined for nine of the 11 goals, but they also got a goal from uh, two of their other players, uh, Doyle and Balsic. So, um, once again, uh, it'll be fun seeing Lindbergh and Ledoux face off in the in Parkway West and SLU in the semifinals. Correct. And so, uh, just so you know, those games are going to take place Thursday uh, at, I think, 6 o'clock and 7.30 at St. Peter's Recplex. I think it's a $5 entry fee. Um, is my is my thought, and then Friday obviously is the JV games that Ray already mentioned, and then Saturday night is the championship. Um, the third place game would be played at five thirty, and then the championship game would be played at seven o'clock at St. Peter's Recplex. You do not have to have a horse in the race to go out and watch some good polo, so um, we urge you to try and make it out Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night if you can. Um, uh, we will not be doing another podcast until after the All-Star Game. Uh, we'll kind of do our kind of closing podcast for the season. Um, maybe we'll be able to get on the uh, the, the championship team's coach, um, whoever that might be. Um, and we'll definitely talk about the All-Star Game and who won what awards and stuff like that. Kind of our tip of the hat and, uh, and end of the year um, for us. That being said... Um, up next, we are going to have uh, Coach Don Casey on. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of water polo. MICDS is getting a new pool built. Um, MICDS is a team uh, this year, obviously, they were young and growing. Um, he gives us our hot take on his Final Four um, and what he thinks about the matchups tomorrow night. He talks a little bit about some Final Fours from years past, um, among some other things. So it's a really, really, really good listen. Um, he is the senior coach, as he liked to tell us. Um, of uh, water polo in St. Louis, so we urge you all to uh, to give it a listen. Um, I'm uh, Coach Charlie, and I'm Ray, and we are signing off. Podcast number eight. If you see us poolside, please stop by and say hello. So here we are with, uh, as we uh, say every week, we've uh, Hall of Fame coach uh, Don Casey from MICDS. Um, and we would like to welcome you, Coach, to the Nearside Low Podcast. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, obviously, we wanted to have you on as we kind of roll into the end of the season. Um, but with all of our guests, we uh, always like to get a little bit of history um, and their background. Um, I was uh, telling some people today that you are the godfather of water polo in St. Louis. <laughs> uh, you might disagree with that. I don't know. But, you know, you coached me, and I know you've coached a lot of people um, in your day. So I guess what we want to know a little bit first is how did you get involved in water polo when you were younger and, and where did that take you and, um, and how you got to where you are today? Well, it was actually very simple. Um, 
My older brothers were lifeguards at Heyman Park, the University City Pool, and Wally Lund had started a guards water polo league. Each of the pools, Webster Groves, Shell Park, U-City, they had a team, and uh, we needed some players. The U-City team did, and Mike and Pat asked us if we would go over and play, Dan and myself. And we went over and played. Had never played before. We were good swimmers, but had never played. And we liked the game. So we just kept going back over, and that's how we got started. This was in eighth grade. Okay. And then from there, where did you well, go? Well, from there, City, we right? just we played We played at, uh, at Webster Groves with a guy called Dick Newman, who one of the awards is, is, is named after. Okay. He coached us. He taught me basically most of what I know in terms of offensive uh, skills and strategies. Okay. Played at University City High School, uh, four years, and then we went on. Both of us went up to Indiana University, played up there for four years. I played a couple years after Indiana, and I kind of made up my mind if I was going to play, I had to play, or if I was going to coach, I had to coach. And I was coaching the club team at that time, and I just decided to go ahead and coach. I still got in and played with the kids, even uh, even two years ago when we still had a pool. I'll get in sometimes, but I just made up my mind when I was about 25 that I wanted to be a coach, and I had to get out of the pool and coach out of the pool if I was going to be successful. Well, now, so that's coach, kind of I, my I history. You, I want you to know, the, the rumor always was in the mid-'90s that uh, in your heyday you could triple bar in at will. That's, <laughs> that's, that, that, was the, uh, that was the rumor going, going well, around, uh, hey, Daisy. It's, at it's, will, it's, you just did it. It's not a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. Keep and that then, rumor alive. And, and Keep you that found rumor it. Alive. So when did when did you the, the club obviously that you're known for is a Daisy Water Polo Club? And when did you found that exactly? Well, actually, the the first club I coached was University City Club. Okay. Uh, we coached ourselves in high school, and then when we went through U City, I mean through uh, college, we we played for U City. And I'm going to make the story short. U City uh, decided they wanted to have a different coach, and we didn't we didn't want to be coached by anybody else. There were three of us who were doing the coaching. So we just all went together, and, and I'm sitting in a room. We're talking about the league, and Wally Lund says, what are you going to call yourselves? And I, I looked at this notebook, and there was a daisy on it. I said, just put down Daisy Waterpole, and I'll come up with a name. And it just kind of stuck. I never did change the name. So that's that kind of how we got started. That's history, man. I've never heard that yes. story. That's good. All right. Well, now, <laughs> now we know the, uh, the history of it. All right, good. Yeah, um, no then, great genius on my part. I just, hey, I know just looked at something uh, and said, here it is. <laughs> it sounds good. It's a legendary name. So, and then, uh, when, when did you start at MICDS? Uh, 1976. I worked for seven years down at Afton. Started their program when they built a new pool. Uh, coached for seven years down there. And then they were cutting back. It was a time when they were cutting back on staff. And the principal came to me and said, you're not going to have a job next year if you want to start looking now. And I started looking, and MICDS opened up. And I went, or it was country day at that time. I went up there with the idea that I was going to stay for a year and try and find another job in a public school. And I liked it so much, I, I just stayed there until well, I'm still there today. Okay. Um, so you brought up uh, MICDS, and we know that uh, you guys have not had a home for the past, I'd say, year or so. Um, and so yeah, I know two seasons. The, two seasons. One of the things we wanted to talk to you a little bit about is uh, the pool that they're building, the status. You know, Are you excited about it? What are they doing with it? Where are we at? Um, and all that other stuff. Well, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a very nice pool. It's going to be a lot like the Kirkwood pool for those who have been over at Kirkwood, except that we're going to be, their pool is 40 meters by 20 yards wide. Ours is going to be 40 meters by 25 yards wide. But it's going to look essentially the same. The windows are going to be a little bit different. And we do have a movable floor so that we can have all deep all the way down. 
are like the Rectplex, we can go up for about 25 feet. We can have it up to all the way where it's uh, just uh, no water at all in it. And we do have the bulkhead. Um, okay. I'm very excited about it. It's supposed to come online. I had a meeting today with the AD, and they're still saying June 1st. Um, it will be ready in June. We're just not sure it's going to be ready June 1st. And do you do you envision that pool since you said it's going to be 40 by 25 that you might be able to run like multiple games in it during the club season or uh, not? Well, we we're, the, the plan is to run multiple games both in the club season and if we host a high school tournament, uh, if we get enough t- uh, teams and there's a demand to have two games during the high school season going on during our tournaments. Normal play would be just one game, but if we uh, tournament play club our high school season. We'd like to be able to have more games so that more teams can play. Awesome. That's, that's going to be an awesome asset, not only for MICDS, but the area as well. So. Well, for the area. That we, I, I, it's one of the things that our supporter, uh, one of our backers, the guy that supported the, the pool and pushed the pool, he wanted it to be 25 yards wide, and the school agreed. We're very fortunate that they agreed to the extra money because it was a, a little bit more expensive. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, we wanted to ask you a little bit about MICDS uh, this year as well. Just talk a little bit about your team and um, what what you saw throughout the season. Really? You're going to bring that up? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do I'll it to everybody, what, Coach. I know. They were a good group of kids. Uh, I felt bad for the seniors because they had to go through two seasons. The plan was we'd only have to go through one season, and the pool should have been ready. Ideally, it was going to be ready in February. But we had to go through a second season without a pool. And we were very fortunate to get Kirkwood. The only problem was is late at night, and we only practice an hour and a half um, each time. And uh, the other deal was I, I promised the kids no Friday practices because unless we had games or tournaments, they could have Fridays off just because the situation just wasn't very good for uh, getting down and the parents. We had a lot of young kids, uh, so they had to have their parents or friends driving down. Uh, we were very young uh, at one point. In fact, at the end of the season, we started two, started one freshman and two sophomores, and we started a goalie and goal who had never played goal. And we started a junior who had only played one year. Uh, our, our problem was basically just inexperience. The kids came a long way. Um, I, I thought the kids progressed very well. We, we beat some teams at the end of the season that we had not beat earlier on. In fact, we beat one team that had beat us by 12 goals, and we came back and we beat them in the district. So I'm, I'm very happy with what they did. It was just challenging. A young team, very inexperienced. Uh, they, I think they handled it very well. Right. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that a lot, of, a lot of young players as well. I mean, when you think of MICDS, you think of, I mean, some of the really strong teams that you've had um, in the past, especially like in the early 2000s and during the 1990s. Um, and obviously the, the change to the spring season hurt you guys. A little bit. Do you, I mean, do you see this this young crop of, of kids as a positive sign for MICDS going forward? Well, I, I think this year's group was, and I think we've got a group next year that's going to come out. They're young. They're eighth graders. Uh, they're not playing, but they've shown an interest. Some of them are swimmers. I, I think it's going to help. We were hit. The, this, the switch to the spring season hurt us uh, for a couple of reasons. I, I don't want to go into everything, but essentially – Country Day, I don't know a lot of people understand this, but we have something like nine men's activities, baseball, track, uh, tennis, the normal, but we also have bicycling. We, we have uh, uh, the, 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 the crew. So our, our boys are able to participate, and we only have in the whole school, maybe we have, uh, if we have 300 kids, 300 boys, that would be a lot. We're probably down around 250 right now. 
Right. So it's it's a challenge for us to get kids to come out. When the kids come out, they like the sport and they stick around. But it's just a challenge the last couple of uh, years, especially without a pool. I, I'm hoping that with a pool on campus and with regular practice times, uh, we I, I had three kids tell me they were, would come out, except they didn't like the idea of going 8 to 10. They were <laughs> sophomores. Right. Their parents didn't want them to go down there, didn't want them to play. So I, I think as we get into the new pool a couple of years, I, I think we're going to be uh, be able to field competitive teams again. And uh, so, so just I was curious to hear your philosophy going into a year like this year. I mean, you knew you had a young team. What's what's your definition of a successful season? I mean, I, I, I played for Coach Baud, and he always preached, like, we wanted to be the best team that we could be regardless of whether that was the worst team in the league or whether that was winning state. I mean, do, do you have a similar philosophy, or what were you thinking going into this season as a measure of success? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm with Bond, um, and I tell the kids this. I, you know, win or lose, we, we almost we talk about being successful. I may mention the word win every now and then, but but our our uh, aim as far as success is to be uh, as good a player as you can be, and to help the team be as good a team as it can be. Um, and that's just it's just a philosophy I, I, that I that I believe in. You you work, you play hard, you play well. And you play, but uh, you just you deal with what the circumstances are, and you just see what you come up with. All right. Uh, so we want to transition from that. Obviously, tomorrow uh, we roll into the uh, semifinals, the final four. Uh, we wanted to get your take. Uh, I know I talked to you a little bit earlier. You said you were planning on heading out to the Recplex to, to watch some polo. So we want to get your hot take on. Uh, I think the first matchup is uh, Slough versus Parkway West. Um, and that is at 6 p.m. at the Recplex. So we wanted to get your thoughts on that game, and then we'll go into the next one. Uh, gee, Charlie, uh, you really want to hear me? <laughs> yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> I think SLU has a good team. I, I think they are the best team in the district. Uh, I've, I've seen a couple of games where they've been challenged by teams from outstate, and I've seen some teams play for a period or, or a half and, and compete with them. I think you guys can because you, you've got a couple of really good players. Um You've got a senior that's outstanding, um, but I think probably they've got a little bit too much uh, experience, and I think they've got a little bit too much depth. Uh, I, I think you can play with them for a half, but I think at the end of the game, it's probably going to be something where they're going to win by five or six goals, okay. and they'll win convincingly. Does that does that sound fair? That is, that is completely fine, Coach. Uh, and up next, uh, at 7.30 at the Recplex. Um, we've got number three, Ledoux, against number two, Lindbergh. What's your uh, take on that one? Well, it, at the start of the season, before they lost to Brad Bauer, which was a very unfortunate uh, accident um, when he was injured and, and was not able to play for the season, I thought Lindbergh could compete with, with, with Slew. Um, he's outstanding. Mason White's outstanding. And they've got a, a good goalie, and they had a couple of kids that I thought would come along, young kids. If they developed, I thought they would be competitive. I wasn't sure they could beat Slew, but I thought they could compete with him. Well, when they lost Brad, uh, that was a big part of their team. And I think they've done a good job throughout the year. Obviously, they've won more games than they've lost. They've beat most of the teams. Um, I, I thought the last game against Ledoux, it was indicative of the improvement of Ledoux more so than, than anything that Lindbergh did. Ledoux has some talented kids. They've got a good group of, of kids. They had, the, they had some young kids come up from the JV team. And then they had Brandon, who came over from U City, transferred over. Right. And those kids kind of had to work out their, their, you know, their system. They had right. to learn how to play together. And I think they're peaking at the right time. 
I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I'm not a betting person. I, I don't want to say I favor any team, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if Ledoux beat Lemberg, even though they're seated behind Lemberg. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Lemberg wins. I, I think it's going to be a case of who makes the, the fewest mistakes. And uh, I, I, that's what I always think when, when competitive teams compete against each other. Usually it's a team that makes the fewest mistakes that will win the game. So I, that's kind of my take on it. I, it's very even. I, I wouldn't be surprised if either of the teams won. I'd be surprised if it was like 6-1 to one like it was the last time they played. Okay. Um, I, I think Ledoux can beat him, but I don't know that they can beat him by that again. We'll just see what happens. All right. Um, so not to put you on the spot, but we were curious, you know, we're talking about Final Four matchups this year. Are there, you know, you've, you've coached for quite some time. Are there any Final Four matchups from yesteryear? Uh, that you remember that stand out in your mind, like a really competitive group of four teams that kind of had to, to battle it out for the championship. And if you, you, you don't have anyone for us, it's totally okay. Cause we, I didn't really preface this question with you. Well, I actually, there's one group and I wish I, it was Peter Sauroff, David Zink. Um, it was, uh, uh, oh shoot. Who was the kid from SLU? Uh, went out and Hefter. played it. Uh, uh, who? Yes. That year, I'll tell you how competitive that was. We played Burroughs in the semis, and we went in the overtime, and they hit the goalpost three times before we put a ball in the net. I mean, we very easily could have been playing for – and we were number one, but we very easily could have been playing for uh, for uh, uh, fourth place and third place. And then Slew played, and I, I wish I could remember – I think it was Ledoux. But it was a really good team, and they played within two goals of each other. Now, the next night, we, we kind of won going away a little bit. Uh, just because we played an outstanding game and we scored, we scored the first six games, the first, first six goals of the game, and that made a big difference. Uh, we just were on fire, but those four teams were so competitive throughout the year. Uh, that's the one final four grouping. I mean, we've had some where you know you had three or two teams, but that's the one year that I remember where any one of those four teams, and they had beat each other throughout the year. Any one of those four teams could have won the championship that year. Yeah, that, now that you mentioned that, I mean, that, that was the Chaminade with Connor Keefe and Pat Singh. It was Chaminade, that's who it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Chaminade, John Burroughs, Slew, and us. And yeah. And there were, like, Mark Zalewski at Kirkwood and others. Oh, so yeah. That was, that was a good year for sure. Definitely. There were actually, I think there were seven teams that had just outstanding talent. It was an exceptional year. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so transitioning from that, um, and I mentioned I wanted to chat with this, or chat, chat with you about this. Uh, next week is the uh, All-Star Game. Uh, and that is on May 17th. Is that right? Correct. Um, that's going to be hosted at Lindbergh High School. Um, and uh, go to Missouri Water sure. for all the – yeah, uh, for all the details. I, but... I lost you there for a second. Okay. Go uh, ahead. Just Yeah, just ask the question again because I lost you first. Yeah, you're totally fine. So we wanted to talk – I know a lot of the awards are named after individuals. And since you were kind of, uh, as we say, the godfather, we thought maybe you would be able to – um, touch on who these people were so as parents and athletes and stuff maybe get nominated or or win these awards they have a little context of of who the person the award was named after so um, I think we'll start out with uh, on my list I've got uh, the player of the year award that we we named after I think a couple years ago we named after a player named Doug Hall um, and I know you you mentioned you knew who he was or knew him so uh, if you could if you could give the audience a little info on him that'd be great well, I'm, I'm going to ask a favor. Can you just say I'm the senior coach rather than the godfather? The senior coach. All right. Yeah, we can do that. Sorry. 
Doug Hall played uh, in the, the, the early 70s. Um, he was a left-hander, outstanding. I played at Ladue. Uh, was All-State four years. His uh, freshman made it. Uh, he went away, uh, flew Crusaders uh, for the Navy uh, during the Vietnam Wars, and unfortunately was killed uh, while he was away. He knew a lot of people here. We all knew him. I played against him. And, I mean, he was one of the truly great players of the, of the era. And he was just an offensive player that you, you had to double-team him. If you put one person on him, he probably was going to get a good shot off. And that's kind of why we, we wanted to honor his memory because of his service to the country, but also because of his tremendous offensive talent, both in high school and at college when he went away to college. Okay. Um, and so then that leads into our uh, – we've got Will Edens for the Defensive Player of the Year Award. Yes, he was a goalie at, at Melville, uh, played in the early 90s. I believe the early 90s, but it was the 90s. Lance Clark coached him when he was coaching, helping coach Melville. Uh, outstanding player, hard-nosed guy. Um, came from a background, I'm not going to say too much more other than it was a challenge, and I think he overcame some of the, uh, some of the, the, the handicaps that he had to deal with. Uh, went away to college, enlisted in the, uh, in, in the armed forces, went over to Iraq, and was killed over in Iraq uh, while serving his country. And when we, uh, it, I think it was Dave Jimenez uh, suggested and recommended, and we all voted to, to do that. He was a good guy, um, died in the service of his country, and he was a hard-nosed defensive player. He was a goalie. Uh, nothing phased him. Uh, he, you know, he could have a bad game and come back the next day and shut you out. Just a tough, hard-nosed type of kid that any coach would be proud to coach. Right. All right. Um, and then moving on to Offensive Player of the Year, that's Dick Newman, who you've kind of already mentioned a little bit, but if you could expand on that. Well, Dick Newman is one of these hidden gems in, in, in Missouri uh, sports history. He played in the uh, 40s, actually played uh, when, when he went to, uh, it was during World War II, he went over and would swim in meets and compete and, and do things for the armed forces, was in the Army, came back, played for a group called the Merrimack River Patrol, uh, which was a group of St. Louisans. They went down to the Merrimack River. This is when people would go down there and swim. They were the lifeguards. They played water polo. They played actually one of the best teams in the country. They'd go play with the, they played for uh, Missouri Athletic Club, and they were one of the top three teams in the country. They played it for the Olympics in 56, and at that time, the winning team got to go. They got beat by one goal in the in the in the uh, tournament, and they lost out to El Segundo from California. Otherwise, he would have been going to the Olympics in '56. He was acknowledged as the best American water polo player, and he was acknowledged as one of the best players in the world at that time. He was a two meter, had all kinds of shots. He's about six four, six five. Uh, swam a 47 at a time when if you could break 50 for yeah. <laughs> uh, 100, you were you were in the Olympics. He never tried out for the Olympics, but he could have easily have swam in the Olympics at that time. That's how fast he was. Uh, incredible player, left-hander, very smart. He taught me everything I know about offense, at least up until that time. And he was uh, the person who, for many years, coached the better players in St. Louis through the 60s uh, and taught us how to play and then would take us to tournaments and we'd be very successful. Nice guy, great coach. Uh, he did as much as anybody for water polo in the St. Louis area during the uh, 50s and the 60s. Okay. 
Uh, and then last, uh, the last award that we have named after someone is Coach of the Year Award, um, and that's Wally Lunt. Wally was the coach of Clayton. He and Steve Nielsen and Bill Pullman. Steve Nielsen was at Ladue. The pool is named after him. The complex, that athletic complex, was named after Steve Nielsen. Uh, Bill Pullman coached at University City. They started high school water polo. MAC, Missouri Athletic Club, had a polo program. Carl Bauer, who some people may know, ran the program. But Wally Lunt, uh, Bill Pullman, and Steve Nielsen, and Carl Bauer with the MAC, they had a group from San Luis University. They started the high school polo, and I believe, I I think it was 1957, 1958, but it was in the 50s. And they're the ones that started the high school and has evolved into what we have today. He was uh, had won the most, I think, had won the most state championships uh, during the high school career of any high school coach. Uh, I know Clayton's coming back this year. The last couple of years, they haven't been as uh, what they would like to be. But in the 60s and the 70s, he was always either in the championship game or playing for third place. He and Clayton. Okay, that's good. So one uh, what, what other other question we wanted to ask was, um, especially since you're the senior coach in the area. Um, Thank you, Ray. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of young coaches in the area, especially for those that are working at uh, at school. I mean, what, 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 what advice do you have for some of these younger coaches about building a program and what, what they should do to develop uh, players um, in their under their watch? Well, there's a lot of different philosophies. The first thing is you've got to get the kids to play. Uh, I mean, St. Louis U has had a lot of success. And one of the reasons is that their kids play. Their coaches, uh, John Panilla and, uh, and, and uh, you know, Coach Bod, they encourage the kids and, and have a positive attitude towards playing. Their kids do play. Uh, I think the first thing is you've got to, you, you, instead of focusing on winning, you need to focus on teaching fundamentals, and you need to make sure that their kids are having fun. Uh, most kids, when they get in the water, American kids like to play with balls. They play football. They play baseball. Now they're playing with lacrosse. So playing with a ball is something that most American kids like to do. Uh, but at the same time, swimming is very challenging. It's hard. So you've got to get them in the pool. It's got to be fun, and you need to focus on the fundamentals. Uh, just simply picking the ball up can be a challenge for some kids. And if you can do that, I, I think you can develop a, a fairly successful program. Does that make sense? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no secret to it. You just make sure the kids are having fun. You teach them good skills so that when they get in there, they feel comfortable and they feel like they're doing something. You're going to have a good program. You may not win state, but I think you're going to have a good program. Right, right. Okay. Um, And then as we start to wrap up, um, just wanted to ask you, I mean, especially as we've talked about, uh, have you seen polo in the area for a while? What are some positive things that you've seen over the last couple of years that you think are good for polo in the area? And what are some things in the next five to ten years you think would be cool to see in the area? Well, one of the things I think has really been a good trend is we're beginning to build facilities that uh, allow water polo to be played the way it's supposed to be played. Kirkwood, uh, Panville just completed a pool a couple of years ago. Uh, Lindbergh's had a pool for a couple of years, I think three or four years, maybe a little bit longer. And we've got our pool. Uh, and I, I, I think pools, when people are talking about building pools, they're talking about building facilities that will allow a lot of different types of activities and that's just a 25-yard, six-lane swimming pool that a lot of people have been built. I, I think that's a positive trend. Uh, the other thing, I, I think in the, in the club program, now we, we had a little problem this year because we had limited facilities. 
But what I've seen in the club program is that more and more kids are, are playing in the games. Um, I think that's a, a, a good trend. We're getting more participation. And I, I think for the, you know, going further uh, in the future, I, I know Kirk was starting a club. Um, I, I know some of the teams that don't have clubs in their area, for instance, Pantville, uh, Parkway Central, they're playing with the clubs. And I think if the coaches get the kids out playing, that that's going to be a big plus. One of the things that we need to do is we need to start a, an age group program that is much more expansive than what we have now. And that's something that I'm hoping to do at, at MICDS. Um, we've got some people that are interested in doing it, Kevin Kerber for one. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can do that and make that a base for an age group program that will allow all the players from, from around the, the city to participate and then feed into our high school program. All right. Well, speaking of club coach, I want to know how uh, Ray and I can get a hold of. Uh, we know we don't coach for Daisy, but we're we're wanting to know if we can get a hold of uh, some Daisy T-shirts this summer. Is that is that a possibility? Well, I'm an XL. You, you, you. Ray, what size are you? He'll take a large. I have your I'm hat. Bit, I still wear it with pride. I'm I'm a little surprised and disappointed that you don't remember the speech that I give you guys. What's you that? can always have a Daisy shirt. If you're Daisy, you are a lifetime Daisy person. Oh. <laughs> All you have to do is ask. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I'll, I yeah, will. I'll, I'll tell you what. That. We we're gonna have our shirts printed in a couple of weeks uh, for the summer season, and I will be sure that we put a large and an extra large aside for both of you. Wonderful, awesome. coach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, that concludes our interview with uh, Coach Casey. Coach, we want to thank you for coming on. I, I thank you for having me on, and I really appreciate it. I had a good time. That concludes Nearside Low podcast number eight. Please join us next week for our final episode of the season. 